To the Mary Mac Show, where we will be talking about your feelings, experiences, and pain following the death of a loved one. my warriors. This is Mary Mack of the Mary Mack Show. I am privileged today to have Ed Bish with me. He lost his son, Eddie, in 2001, and he has become a strong, strong advocate against the pharmaceutical industry who pushes the pills that kill our kids. And I'm grateful that he's with me today. We're going to talk about his son, Eddie, who died and we're going to talk about his grief as well. And then we're going to explain to you everything that's going on with the pharmaceutical company and how implicit and explicit they have been in harming the people of our country with these drugs that are highly addictive and cause individuals to have ruined lives because of it. So I thank you, Ed, for being here today. You are such an advocate in this area, and I'm so grateful for you being here with us today. Uh, thanks, Mary. So I'll, I'll start from the beginning. <clears throat> President, President's Day 2001, I was in work downtown Philadelphia. I got a call from my daughter. She said, Dad. Eddie's turning blue and he's not breathing. Oh my. This is totally out of the blue. I was like, call 911. I, I put down the phone, said to the guy, I got to go. I ran outside, hopped in the cab. Okay, I was only two miles away from Center City. I'm like, hurry, hurry. On the way, I'm saying a prayer. And, um, Pull up to the corner and my house is in the middle of the block. I start running up the street. I see an ambulance outside my house. And I said, thank you, God. But as I got closer, I noticed there was two techs sitting in the ambulance. Oh, boy. And they just looked at me and they said, sorry, sir. Nothing we could do. I said, don't tell me he's dead. I ran into the house and one of my brothers were there and he stopped me from going up the steps and it was total shock. And it's like, what? He's dead? 
I mean, this is 2001. Right. Kids, my son was a high school senior. Uh, it was February. He was graduating that June. Six days, six that Saturday, me and him were going to Florida for a father-son fishing trip. Mm. And um, so I I started, you know, just thinking, what, what could have happened? And next thing I know, some of his friends were gathering outside. <clears throat> and I went out and I said, tell me, tell me, what did he do? They said, an oxy. I said, what the hell's an oxy? Yeah. They said it an oxycotton. It's like a strong Percocet. I was like, no, no, my son's laying in his bed dead. And that's the very first time I heard the word oxycotton. My son was laying in his bed dead. Went back inside. I had my head down on the kitchen table crying. And a police sergeant came in. And he said, Oxycontin, kids are deaf, dying left and right from this stuff. I jumped right up. I said, what? Yeah. How? Yeah. I mean, I read the newspaper every day. I watched the nightly news. How did I never hear about this? And like, I was like angry. So um, next thing you know, my sister, who was a nurse, she came over. And, um, you know, we had computer. Internet was pretty rough back then. You had to know, move. The AOL with the, the tone. <laughs> so, you know, but after the police, my my very first thought is, I got to warn the kids. Yeah. There's a pill out there that can kill them. Because back in 2001, a pill did not kill you. No. I mean, the only people, you know, if you are a heroin addict using a needle, you might OD. I had a high school senior back then. <clears throat> so, so we got on the internet, and I was shocked to see all these stories. And most of them were from, like, Virginia, West Virginia, Maine. And uh, like I said, that very night, we had a fax machine. We faxed as many schools as we could. One page. Please warn your kids, warn your students that there's a new drug out there and it's killing kids. And uh, so one of the things, next thing I know, the um, newspaper came over to interview me. Mm. They told me that like 18 people had died in three months in wow. Philadelphia. And it wasn't in, it didn't hit the news yet. So they gave me an interview and I was on the front page of the paper the next day. And uh, we called a press conference at the 26th police district in Philadelphia. Oh, good for and you. Every news station came showed up. And uh, NPR showed up and the newspaper showed up. And, you know, I was still gathering exactly what happened. But I just wanted to get ASAP to warn kids. Um, you, you know, there's a new drug out there and it can kill you. You can't mess with this stuff. Right. And um, <clears throat> so that was 2001. 
So make a long story short, I, I went on a TV show, a Sunday morning talk show, and it was a live show, and I told them, and I warned them about OxyContin, and I was going on message boards, spreading the news. And by the end of the TV show, by, by the time I got home, the producer called me and said, we had three people who want, want to build you a website. And so I, I said, well, who is the first one to call? And I took that person. So this is 2001. Websites were brand new. They were. I even yeah. I even had one for books and I couldn't have my own. I had to tack on with other people. Right. So so we got that up and running real fast and started as one page. So it was a learning process. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I started going around with uh, the Philadelphia Police Department talking at high schools and some middle schools. Oh, good for you. And uh, that was good for a while, but they they were warning about all kinds of drugs. They were talking about marijuana and heroin. And, you know, these kids, it wasn't even, you know, the, the most deadliest thing out there was this new drug, Oxycontin. So another thing that happened was about three weeks into the website, Purdue Pharma emailed me. Purdue Pharma is the company that makes OxyContin. Wow. They said, look, we just want you to let, let you know our drug is a great drug for patients. It's just people, when they abuse it, you know, it, it can be deadly. I had no reason to doubt them. I mean, it's FDA approved, right? <laughs> so... I said, okay, and then, you know, struck up some emails, and they said, look, if you ever want to talk about prescription drug abuse, we're willing to help you. So I was going around with the police department, and they would only give me five minutes. I said, no, I, I got to do my own program on pills, because that's what's killing the kids. So I actually went up to Purdue Pharma, and in the meantime, I was starting to get email from all over the country from people who got addicted and they were patients or relatives whose, whose relatives died. Some of them started as patients and, you know, emails from other parents who died like Getty, just buying it on the street. <clears throat> so another thing that I had learned was there was a pill mill doctor flooding Philadelphia with OxyContin. Oh. And the detectives told me, look, we've been watching this guy eight months. We're about to make an arrest. But as soon as I heard that, I'm thinking, eight months? Why so long? Yeah. Now, now my son got one of them last pills. Why not a month? Why did it take eight months? Come to find out that it usually takes a couple of years to bust a doctor. Wow. So eight months was kind of actually fast, but I didn't realize that at the time. So when I went up to Purdue Pharma, um, they wind and dye me, you know, filet mignon. And ah! our drugs great. And I was like, so I met with the medical director. 
J. David Haddocks. And I said, the one thing that's bothering me, I, I get a lot of emails and a lot of them are from patients who got addicted. He looked me in the face and he said, well, they must be doing something wrong because less than 1% of patients get addicted. And, you know, it made me feel a little uneasy, like my yeah. spider senses tingled a little. Uh huh. You knew something like, wasn't just right. Okay. Oh, so I said to him, so I said, so sales are down. He looked me in the face. He says, yes, a lot. Okay. So I went home and I wound up getting a small donation from Purdue, which I bought a, bought a, lot, a laptop and a projector and software to give my presentation. That was smart. <clears throat> three days later, three, three months later, I'm reading the newspaper and it says, Sales of Oxycontin increased 43% in one year. Oh, my God. I knew I almost fell off my chair. Right. I knew my suspicions that that company was full of shit. And they were lying to me. And they were lying to the country. Um, so by then, my website was growing. And the sole purpose of the website was to warn kids not to do, not to mess with OxyContin. As a matter of fact, the original name was OxyKills.com. Okay. But I started getting a lot of emails from chronic pain patients saying I was going to ruin their drug that they needed. And I would go through and I explained to them, look, I have nothing against your drug. Or you as a patient, I want the kids not to abuse it. So one of the things I did when I went up to Purdue and took their donation, not knowing how crooked they were, I changed the name from Oxy Kills to Oxy Abuse Kills. Because frankly, I was tired of defending myself every single day. So, but once I found out that he lied to my face about the sale. I'm thinking, how stupid is that? Like, I wasn't going to find out. <laughs> so I was pissed. I was pissed. I shot off a couple nasty emails to Purdue. And I knew right then and there, my website now has two missions. Mission one is to warn kids not to mess with this. Mission two is to make the country aware that Purdue is crooked. And they're lying. <clears throat> so this was February 2001. In August 2001, the very first congressional hearing. Oh. Was very first congressional hearing in August 2001 was held right, side, right outside Philadelphia. They had busted the pill mill doctor in Ben Salem, PA. Okay. And the congressman was the chairman of the House Ways and Means. Ooh. They held the very first hearing. So I went and Purdue's president was there and their top lawyer. And I'm listening and the congressman, Jim Greenwood, he said to the Purdue uh, CEO, he said, so I know you have IMS data and IMS data is a database. Okay. 
And he said, so I know you knew exactly how many pills this doctor was prescribing. Why did you not notify the authorities? And the CEO, CEO started mumbling, and then the lawyer jumped in. <laughs> of course. He didn't really answer the question. He gave legal leads. Yes. Okay. So that that just made me like, you know, like I'm I was I was almost in shock. So they knew this pill mill was flooding Philadelphia, and they said nothing. So obviously, I put that news right up on my website. Um, now, may I ask you, Did was Sackler CEO at that point, president at that point? Did he testify? No. No, the, the president, the president was uh, Michael Friedman. The Sacklers were in the background. OK, they did everything they could. I knew the Sackler family owned it, but I looked at them as the owners. Yes. And I'll get to that. So this is 2001. So there was supposed to be another congressional hearing. 9-11 happens. Right. <laughs> and the Sacklers get away. They 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 dodged the bullet. And I found out years later, 9-11, Purdue Farm is in Stanford, Connecticut. They could actually see the Twin Towers from their office. Oh, yes. So on 9-12, while the Twin Towers were still smoldering and they saw the smoke, the vice president of sales for Purdue Pharma sent out a company-wide voicemail to all the sales reps. And it said something to the effect, uh, you know, due to the tragic events of yesterday, it takes Oxycontin now the news. So now would be a great time to go visit your top prescribers. Oh, boy. Like I said, they were taking heat. They were in the news. And unfortunately, I mean, 9-11 really helped them. And I'll mention, I'll mention that later when I get near the end, what I've been saying about the Sacklers and Purdue. So this is 2001. <clears throat> so... In 2003, my website's going, and I'm hearing from literally hundreds, thousands of people. Wow. And uh, I opened the paper one day, and I see a picture of three moms standing outside of Purdue Pharma with, with uh, posters of their dead kids. Ooh. And I said, that's a great idea. <laughs> Let me hook so, up with those women. <laughs> so I, I reached out to the paper and I got in contact with one of the moms. And here a reporter tipped me off that there was going to be a big sales convention for Purdue in Orlando, Florida. Oh. So, so I, you know, through email, everything was done through email. Through email, about 10, 10 parents got together. And we planned on going and protesting. And they said, well, we got we to name ourselves. Why are we going to call ourselves? And we came up with RAP, Relatives Against Purdue Pharma. And here is, this is their original pen. 
Yep. <clears throat> People used to see this and say, why are you against rat? Because no one, no one knew who Purdue Pharma was. So we, we would explain it. Right. And just so our audience knows, Ed has a page on Facebook that you can join with the exact same name. Relatives Against Purdue Pharma. It's a Facebook page. So you could look that up and we'll have the links at the end. Right. Right. And we'll put it in there or you could search at sign rap Ed B for Ed B. Okay. Rap Ed B, that'll take you right to the page. So this was 2003. So more and more stories are coming out Purdue about Purdue Pharma. Of course, they're denying or even denying that there's an epidemic. (gasps) Unbelievable. 2003, later that year. So you had the very first congressional hearing, 2001. 2003, the very first book, Painkiller, which you can watch on uh, Netflix. Um, That book comes out. And I couldn't, I read that book. I was like, oh my God, it listed their crimes. And I was like, oh, they, they got them now. But no. But what happened was that book helped spur an investigation. So in Southwest Virginia, John Bradley started an investigation. Rick and who is, who is John Bradley? John Brownlee was the U.S. attorney for Southwest Virginia. Oh, great. Um, if you if you watch the show Dope Sick, Dope Sick on Hulu, to me, that is the best show to watch. You'll see all about John Brownlee and two heroes, uh, Rick Moncastle and Randy Ramsnayer. And this was an understaffed little office, and they started digging. So they started digging, and I I had heard rumors that there was an investigation. Of course, nothing's easy. So one of the things things that Purdue would do is they would ask Purdue for documents. Well, Purdue sent down tractor trailers full of boxes and boxes. To overload them. Right, right. So... So make a long story short, and Dope Sick is all about this, the investigation. They nailed him. Rick Moncastle wrote a 120-page prosecution letter. Wow. Okay? They sent that to DOJ in Washington. And here, in the meantime, Purdue Pharma hired Rudy Giuliani. They hired... uh, Oh, my God. Who else? Eric Holder. Ah! They hired um, uh, Mary Jo White, who's a big-time yes. attorney for New York. You probably heard of her. Yeah. Anyway, make a long story short, members of RAP, we were invited to give a victim statement at the hearing. Yes. For Purdue Pharma. So yes. in... Uh, I think it was in May of uh, 2007, we went to Abington, Virginia. Now, remember, the Sacklers were still in the background. We were looking, the three individuals charged were Michael Freeman, Howard Udell, 
and uh, <clears throat> I'll remember the other guy's name. But, but Friedman uh, was the Friedman was the president Friedman at was the time. The CEO, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, Doctor Goldenheim, Paul Gott Goldenheim. He was the chief medical. Okay. They were actually charged, but we didn't know this at the time. We begged the judge to give them jail time, and the judge says he more or less apologized to us. And he wanted to give him jail time. He says, but I got to go against, I got to go with the guidelines. Okay. Well, nobody knew about this 120 page memo because the brass at the DOJ buried it. The judge never saw the 120 page memo. So Purdue, so they wound up getting probation and community service. At the time, it was a record fine. It was $600 million. This is in 2007. Okay. And the executives got $34 million of fines. Of course, now Purdue paid that. Sure. Okay. But they really thought this would send a message to the pharmaceutical industry. Well, the problem was OxyContin was selling $2 billion a year. <sighs> What did Purdue Pharma do after that? Instead of slowing down, they went out and hired 100 more sales reps. And their sales went from $2 billion a year to $3 billion a year. And even though they denied any, any crimes, one thing they couldn't deny, as the sales went up, the deaths went up. Sure. And then you start reading pages, you know, the deaths, you can count the deaths, but that's just the tip of the iceberg. All the people who got addicted and lost their lives, lost their livelihoods, yep. the whole family. Yes. Uh, the foster care system, especially in West Virginia and Appalachia, went through the roof. So many kids their parents became addicted or died or died. And you, you know, if they didn't have family to fall on, they wound up in the foster care system. It's, it's just a, a tragedy. So this is, this is 2007. So, um, you, you, you know, I, I kept at it. I kept on the website. I really, I really thought something would happen. But after 2007, another thing Purdue did. They, they, in 2002, they actually says, oh, we're working on abuse-resistant oxy. Okay? So people really thought that was going to make a difference. And Purdue could have brought that out in 2002. They waited to the patent was going to run out on oxycodone. Okay? So it, <clears throat> in the meantime, we started going to uh, FDA hearings. So Purdue, Purdue, not only they were so greedy, they weren't just happy with OxyContin, they tried to get another pill, which at time release, Dilaudid. Oh, <laughs> morphine. It was called Paladone. It's, it's, it's stronger than... Um, it was stronger than oxycotton. 
So we went to hearings and we protested against that. And, you know, I got to remind myself over the years we've had victories because we helped stop Paladone. Wow. Paladone could have killed just as many people as Oxycontin. Without a doubt. And we helped stop that. So that that was rat. Um, so about, so then I think it was 2010, 2011. Oxycontin's patent was going to run out. So they come out with this abuse resistant, which made it harder to crush, harder to melt down. But there was ways around it. But here, so the patent ran out on Oxycontin. Here, Purdue actually went to the FDA hearing. This is after 10 years saying that their drug was not a problem, the patients, blah, blah, blah. They actually had the nerve to testify to the FDA that the original Oxycontin was too dangerous to let generics sell it. (laughs) Oh, I was outraged. Um, And sure enough, the FDA, they listened to Purdue. They stopped the original Oxycontin because it was too dangerous. So, you you know, this is a 22-year journey for me. So there's so much. It would take me uh, eight hours to tell you everything. Right. But anybody who watched Dope Sick, they'll learn, or even Painkiller, they'll learn that when they approved Oxycontin in 1994, Five, it came out in 96. The guy who worked for the FDA, Dr. Curtis Wright, he actually met with Purdue Foreman in a hotel for three days and helped them write the application. Oh, how lovely. Oxycontin was approved in record time. Okay. Dr. Curtis Wright eventually left the FDA. And nine months later, who do you think he went to work for? Of course. Purdue Pharma. Right. And I can only imagine what kind of compensation he got for writing that. Uh, I'll tell you exactly. Oh, you he know? Got, yes. He got paid almost 400 grand a year by Purdue Pharma, three times his FDA salary. And I wonder how much he got paid off to do it's the... Crit- criminal yeah who knows who knows uh, i mean and like i said dope sick the miniseries or the book book excellent book if you're right or read this is a great book i'm in here i'm in chapter three rap and uh my story a lot of what i just told you you can read about but uh beth macy did a great job <clears throat> and um so around 2011, 2010, 2011, the new Oxycontin just came out. I was burnt out. I had to step away. You know, you, you asked me earlier about my grief. You know, definitely getting so involved helped me process my grief. But I, I was literally burnt out. I stopped watching the news. I totally got away from it. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I think I think this book came out in uh, 2016, 2017. I forget. Beth Macy called me out of blue. Someone that told her, a member of rap, told her uh, about me. And, uh, you know, so, I, and I told her where I stood. I said, look, I, I got away from it. Um, but she told my story. But that was I, very I, kind. Yes. I still, um, I still, you know, I, you know, I still like removed. Well, 2018. And so to make a long story short, like I said, the Sacklers went out of their way to stay in the background. We knew. Tell people who the Sacklers own. are. The Sacklers own Purdue Pharma. It was not, it was a private company. We didn't know they were hands-on owners. They totally called all the shots. Wow. And uh, so 2018, 2018, Patrick Radden Keefe, who wrote a great book called Empire of Pain, he did an article in the New Yorker, a big article, and he pulled back the veil on the side. That's some, that's certainly an impressive title, I have to say. Yes, yes. And that's why it was the Empire of Pain. Um, there was another author, forgetting his name right now, same month he came out with a, a similar article in Esquire. So now people knew about the Sacklers. Well, Mara Healy, the Attorney General of Massachusetts, up until that point, people had tried to sell, sue Purdue, and Purdue settled a lot of cases. At first, they said, we'll, we'll never settle a case. They <laughs> started to settle thousands of cases. The problem is, they would always insist that the records get sealed. <clears throat> so the evidence wasn't getting out. Um, so Moore Healy actually named Sacklers in a lawsuit. And not only that, she put her lawsuit online. Oh! So anybody could read the proof. When I read that lawsuit, I was like, oh my God, they got them. <laughs> so I called out some original rap members. And I told them, you got to check this out. And we got to get we got to get back involved. So start following it a little. And one day you see a headline, Purdue Pharma files bankruptcy. I was like, oh, great. Finally. Start reading the article here, like the third paragraph down. The Sacklers are insisting on civil immunity. And I saw that. I said out loud, this is a bankruptcy scam. Yeah. It's all about getting them immunity, um, you know, for their crimes. Now, this is just civil. Criminal immunity is still on the table. It's hard to prove, but there's 10 books detailing their crimes. Okay. Three miniseries, literally thousands and thousands of newspaper articles documentaries 
it's there. So what what RAP has been doing, we've been we've been encouraging the DOJ just follow the evidence. So <clears throat> Sacklers file bankruptcy. Long story short, eventually all the AGs give in and give them what they want, which is civil immunity. But it gets appealed. It gets appealed all the way to the Supreme Court. And that's where it's at now. So on December 4th, it's going to be argued in the Supreme Court. This December 4th. This December 4th. And anybody can listen. Okay. So you, who's you spearheading know, who's spearheading it on the um on our side? So the the DOJ, um the department that handles bankruptcy is called okay. the U.S. trustee. And the U.S. trustee, because uh, this, this is another long story. So, <laughs> excuse me. This book, Unsettled, it's written by Ryan Hampton. It's literally an insider's book to the bankruptcy. And how corrupt it. And when I say this whole thing was set up and the Sacklers almost paid a billion dollars to lawyers already, a billion dollars. You, you, you know, so what kind of bankruptcy cost a billion dollars in lawyers? So there's another, another long story. The judge here in bankruptcy, it's called Judge Shop. Everybody say, his name, say his name again, Ed. Uh, Ryan Hampton. No, the uh, judge's name. Uh, judge Robert Drain. <clears throat> so the judge was handpicked by Purdue. <laughs> okay. And this is no lie. On the very first hearing, you call in and you listen. <clears throat> I called in a little late. My wife said, who's talking? I says, oh, it has to be a Purdue lawyer. I kept on listening, and it was the judge. Wow. Like, oh, my God, that's the judge. I knew it's going to be a long case then. And we're not three years later. It's going to the Supreme Court, which is another big ordeal. Um, there's a little bit of controversy because, you know, the Sacklers, like all these opioid settlements, and I'm sure you heard about the opioid settlements. Yes. <clears throat> so besides any money from Purdue, $5 billion in settlement side. I call them blood settlement. Okay? Because it was paid with my son's blood and everybody else, kid who, you know, passed away or got addicted. And <clears throat> so that's another big fiasco because there's 55 billion already. The Sacklers are offering six billion, but they're offering six billion over 18 years. Backloaded. That's so crazy. Purdue Pharma declares bankruptcy. The Sacklers are not bankrupt. They're still filthy rich. If this gets upheld, they'll be able to pay that money with the interest they make. Another thing they did, they literally, after 2007, 
I start moving money offshore to the Isle of Jersey. Isle, Isle of Jersey. And it's this little island that has special rules to basically protect money of the rich and powerful. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the attorney generals knew this, but the laws are, it's so hard. I was actually on a Zoom call with Letitia James. And she told us to our face. She said, I would love to send investigators over to the Isle of Jersey. Well, I I just can't do it. Now, why can't you do it? Because it would have I, I don't know. She didn't get into it, but it would have been too hard for. Her. So that's another. Yeah, exactly. You know, that sounds like an excuse. You know, if <laughs> if if the Sackler's name started with a T, I think she would have sent the investigators. But uh, that's another story. Um, <clears throat> So, so that's where we are with the bankruptcy. So one of the things that Rap did after Painkiller, after no, after Dope Sick ran on Hulu in 2001, we actually held a rally outside the Department of Justice in Washington, D.C., calling for the DOJ to do their job and follow the evidence. Mara Healy actually said on NPR, she said, I've seen all the evidence the DOJ has. They should prosecute, they should criminally prosecute the Sacklers. And the guy says, well, Mar, why don't you do it? She says, the states are not equipped to criminally prosecute. This has to be federal. <clears throat> so we, we went outside, Rick Moncastle, the man who wrote the 120-page memo, he actually came to our DOJ rally. Oh. Danny Strong, who did Dope Sick on Hulu, he came. Dan Schneider, I'm wearing The Pharmacist. The Pharmacist is another great show on Netflix. That's another documentary. Like I said, the evidence is out there. So Mar Healy actually said, I've seen all the evidence. The DOJ has enough to prosecute. So we held a rally. And then after that rally, we actually got a Zoom meeting with the New Jersey Attorney General. And that's where the latest case was filed. Not, not the Attorney General, the U.S. Attorney. Mm -hmm. And I knew they weren't going to tell us nothing. But they more or less confirmed it's an ongoing investigation. It's like, okay. How so, ongoing do we have to be? Exactly. So that was <laughs> 2021. So 2023, almost two years went by. Painkiller came out on Netflix. Another show similar to Dope Sick. List and produce crimes. We went back to the DOJ again. Calling for them to do their job. Right. The next... So I will say is no state secret. I just pray that it's true. There's been a rumor that the DOJ, if they're going to do anything, they're waiting for this bankruptcy to get resolved either way. And I just pray that's true. I mean, I know it's a long shot because the Sacklers, like I said, they spent billions and billions of dollars covering their crimes. 
Sure. Okay. So one thing I'm hoping on December 4th, I'm praying one of these Supreme Court justices asked the question, just how culpable are the Sacklers for the opioid epidemic? Okay. So that, that brings us today. So along the way, <clears throat> um, you, you know, fentanyl, illicit fentanyl. So what happened with Oxycontin? They planted the seeds. You know, before Oxycontin, Percocets were the common pain reliever. They were five milligrams. And they were mixed with acetaminophen. So you can only take so much. Maybe there was 10 milligram Percocet, but that was rare. <clears throat> Along comes Oxycontin. And instead of people taking five milligrams of Percocet, they're taking 80 milligrams of Oxycontin. An 80 milligram Oxycontin is 16 Percocets. So a lot of kids who died, they snorted an 80 milligram. They, they had no clue. They were like snorting 16 Percocets. Right. And the powerfulness of it. Right. So Purdue totally changed the landscape. They, they spent millions and millions. They propped up false chronic pain. Remember I told you I was getting a lot of emails from chronic pain patients? Yes. Well, I didn't realize Purdue Pharma propped up them orgs. And they actually ran some of the orgs. And they got their members to literally attack anybody who tried to speak out against Oxycontin. Uh, <clears throat> it's been going on and on. So after Oxycontin, uh, it did become less popular when they reformulated it because it wasn't giving people the high that it used it. They could still get high, but it wasn't. Well, enter fentanyl. And started with the patches yep. and the lollipops and then subsis. So subsis was an under-the-tongue fentanyl. And so, you know, they picked right up. They followed Purdue's gameplay. Another culprit who I think is probably the number two culprit is a consultant company called McKinsey. So McKinsey, they coached Purdue Pharma, okay? Wow. Not only did they coach Purdue Pharma, <clears throat> they actually went out and coached all these other drug companies. So like 90% of the drug companies that were in opioids had McKinsey coaching them. Oh, just lovely. So while you got kids dying and people dying and getting addicted, McKinsey had at least five consultants working for Purdue Pharma at the same time working for the FDA, how, how to combat the crisis. You think that's a conflict of interest? Just a touch. <laughs> right. So they were <clears throat> they were always one step ahead of the FDA. Who, you know, let's face it, government screws up everything. And people people's eyes have opened up to the FDA the last couple of years. But before that, 
they had a good reputation. But then after the Curtis Wright fiasco, you know, started to, you know, see really what they were about. And uh, so that's where we are. But to get to fentanyl, so I'm very active in baseball. And I met April Babcock, who started Lost Voices of Fentanyl. Mm -hmm. And me and her talked. And, you know, I told her my son's story. And she said, Ed, do you realize so many of the fentanyl parents are just like you? The first time they heard of fentanyl, their kids were dead from it, you know. And then it's even more insidious because, you know, some of these kids thought they were taking Adderall. Yes, or a Xanax, or like a Xanax, something for pain, you know, or anxiety. So that's definitely poisoning. But my whole point is, and... I went to the fentanyl rally in Washington, D.C., and they let me talk. I heard you speak there. I just remind everybody, if not for the crimes of Purdue Pharma, the fentanyl crisis would not be nearly as bad as it is. Like I said, they went, the whole nation, they went from doing five milligrams of oxycodone for pain, for Percocet, like 80 milligrams two times a day at one time purdue pharma was actually telling doctors because that's another thing during the test almost 50 percent of the patients said said oxycontin don't work 12 hours which was oxycontin's big selling point well the fda because it was like 51 percent said it worked they let Purdue say it's a 12-hour medicine. Well, not not for 49% of the people. So what did they do? They would go in the withdrawal. So they would prescribe Percocets or Vicodin along with the Oxycontin. Again, the milligrams, up, up, up. One of the crimes that Purdue's guilty of, they were like, they were like uh, titrate, titrate, titrate. So it was always up the dosage and they would push their doctors. So one of the things rap did, there was one sales rap in Florida, in Tampa Bay, Florida, Karen White. So Purdue fired her. Purdue said she was a bad sales rap. Well, Karen said, no, she would go to the doctor's offices and she knew they were pill mills. So she refused to stop going to these doctors. Well, Purdue fired her. So she sued Purdue Pharma for a wrongful termination. Good. We went down there to support Karen. So Karen, Karen had her one little lawyer. Purdue shows up with 10 lawyers. (laughs) I was in the courtroom all week. It was a week-long trial. So earlier that year, there was a $2 million GAO report produced on OxyContin deaths. The government did this report, $2 million to pay for it. Karen's lawyer submitted his evidence. Purdue got that thrown out. 
Oh my God. Was they said there was some hearsay in it. Right? So uh I got I got a cold, so that's what's going uh -huh. on here. I'll pause uh, this. Let's pause this for a moment. Pause this a second. So, okay, you know, I got together with April and she let me say a few words at the Lost Voices of Fentanyl rally the last two years I've been there. And uh, last I, the last one when I was there, it was really a stormy day, wasn't it? Oh, uh, yeah. 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 Wow. God, God all bless those you. people endured all that wind and rain and cold. Yeah. And I just thought that was remarkable. Yeah, no, very, very impressive. One point about that, you, you know, some people say, you, you, you know, we're all for, we want the border closed. And then some people, they, they say, oh, yeah, but 90% get imports of entries. But yes, if we close the border, we could move resources to the ports of entries. Okay? So... You know, I, I say we need three things. I call them the three R's. Okay. We need supply reduction. We need demand reduction. And we need harm reduction. And we need all three of these things to try to turn this thing around. And unfortunately, there's little squabbles between some of the groups. Some people are a little too sensitive. If you say, well, my kid was poisoned, they get offended, and they shouldn't get offended. You, you know, if my son took even an Oxycontin and it was and it was fentanyl, I would say my son was poisoned. Shouldn't have been doing the Oxycontin, but, you know, Eddie was pure, pure Oxycontin. Um, so... You, you, you know, there's there's money out there. Like I said, fifty five billion in blood settlements, and we'll we'll say I I hope that it makes a difference. But until them three R's come together and people start working together, this thing ain't going to turn around. And uh, but we can't give up. No, nope. as, as bad as it is. I know for a fact if some of the stuff rap has done over the years has saved lives. Yes. I have a whole folder of emails saying saying as much. Yes. And same, yeah. same way with these parents who are warning against fentanyl. I mean, you got parents chipping in, doing billboards. You don't know who saw that billboard and might have saved them and they don't even know it. That's right. That's right. But, you, you, you know, the word's getting out more and more, and, and everybody thinks, oh, everybody knows it. No, everybody don't know it yet. No, they don't. So, so there's there's a lot of work to be done, and, uh, you know, you just got to chug along. And I know for me, being an activist, meeting other parents, I listened to a couple of your podcasts, um, uh, Ed Koblis, I've met him, I know him, and uh, I know the lady from Florida. Uh, her name's forgetting me, you know, Andy, Andy Lee, that, that, yeah, Lee, yeah, well, Andrea Lee, 
She yeah, yeah, her, yeah. She yeah. calls herself Andy Lee. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, but um, she went know, through a lot with her daughter. I I listened to that thing. Yeah. So. You, you, you know, yes, it's 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 horrible, and um, we got to turn this around. Absolutely. And, you know, it took the government 15 years to get Purdue Pharma under control. If they take 15 years to get fentanyl under control, we're going to be up to a million kids a year dying. Yes. And it's ridiculous. And uh, hopefully things turn around starting in 2024, but we'll see. Yeah. And the other thing that's really horrific is when you hear um, the little babies like at the, you know, daycare uh, in the Bronx yeah. and things like that, where they're they're completely innocent, you yeah. know, and, and they become exposed to something either because of daycare or because of drug dealers or Horrible, even because yeah. of their own parents dealing or using. Yes, yes, it's 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 a disaster. It's a disaster that doesn't get enough attention. And, uh, you know, the government has to get serious. And parents, we got to keep on yelling. That's all we can do. Yeah. And letting more parents better understand what really is happening and what is not happening, you know? Right. And, right. and I often say um, the era of experimentation with drugs is over. You know, it's right, not right. like when we were growing up and people would say, oh, uh, it's, try it's a not. joint, right? Let's try a joint. And right. then now we find out that fentanyl is being laced in joints and killing people. Yeah, it's 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 horrible. Um, so let me recap the shows we talked about. Okay. So I would say if you're going to watch one show, watch Dope Sick on Hulu. It's by far the more accurate the real life. Okay. Dope sick on Hulu. Uh, on HBO, there's a documentary called Crime of the Century. Wow. Yeah, that says it all. That's a good one. To watch. <laughs> Another great title. Okay. You have Painkiller on Netflix. You have The Pharmacist, Dan Schneider, my buddy. Uh, they're actually going to be making a real movie. It was a, do a great documentary, but hopefully in a year or two, there's going to be a real movie about it. If you really want to know about the Purdue Pharma bankruptcy scam, this is an insider book. I live it. And I am in this book, too. But it, it, you'll read that and you'll be like, that so can't corrupt. be happening. Yeah. So corrupt. Oh, it happened. Money buys a lot. Like I said, they Purdue has spent almost a billion dollars on lawyers. And I'll buy you a lot. Oh, okay. So the judge, the judge, the hand-picked judge, he retired seven years early. Did you ever hear of a judge retiring early? No, because uh, they, they probably. They're right, they, they're set. They're set. Now, he retired seven years early. Who did he go to work for? A Purdue Pharma law firm. Oh, that my represented God. Purdue Pharma. Well, he this, sounds like he got paid off. <laughs> this is this is a man who just 
sat, oversaw a multi-billion, billion with a B. My point of view, every major decision went the way of the Sacklers of Purdue Pharma in this case, including the biggest thing. Right away, on day one, what did this judge do? He stopped all lawsuits against Purdue. There was 2,600 lawsuits going against Purdue and some of them against the Sacklers. Two Sacklers were supposed to get deposition that week. So they would have had to answer questions under oath. Mm -hmm. Actual evidence could have came out. Nope. Judge Drain stopped it all. Now he works for one of their law firms. And it's unreal. Apparently it's not illegal because we called it out. That's for sure. Um, There's a website called the-curtains.com. The-curtains.com. You go there. One of the things we had, we had a a 20-foot curtain of Judge Drain. (gasps) Because we wanted to call him out. You you know, when he went, when he went and worked for Purdue's law firm, there was two stories, two national stories about it. That should have been frigging on the national news to me. Come on. Yep. Yep. You know, it is what it is, but. I'm not giving up quite yet. Personally, I think if nothing happens this year or next year, nothing will never happen. As far as this Purdue bankruptcy scam, I hope the Supreme Court does the right thing because not only do you have Purdue, if they uphold these third-party releases, you could have any company doing criminal activities and then declare bankruptcy. Mm-hmm. Never be held accountable unless they go after them criminally. But unfortunately, white collar crimes, they don't go after criminals. And no. they need to. Yes, they do. I wrote, I wrote an op-ed for <laughs> Stat Magazine. And the bottom, bottom line was, until they start criminally prosecuting for deadly crimes, just fines ain't cutting it because the companies look at it as the cost of doing business. Yes, they do. So um, that's about it. Ed, you've given us so much of your life today, explaining so much of what you've gone through since Eddie's death. And I really appreciate you educating us about this criminal organization because that's what they are. I mean, it's really sad to hear all that you've had to go through and all the other families have had to go through just to try to find some sense of justice with this company, Purdue Pharma. Yeah, I mean, getting, uh, you know, I will mention it because people don't know. People, oh, Purdue's bankruptcy, the victims are getting money. The victims are getting seven and a half percent. The states are taking nine over ninety-three percent of the money. Okay. Not convenient. Some people think this is going to change things. Like I said, there's already fifty-five billion out there. This will add to it. 
but how much is it going to change over 18 years? Another thing with the 18 years, it's backloaded, which means they pay most of the money. You know, this, this is another thing that galls me. They would always say, oh, we need to get these money out as soon as possible. Yeah, as soon as possible. Well, why did you write in 18 years? Why don't you pay it all up front? Yeah? No. So they they play games. Yeah. They play games and they're full crap. And anybody who reads Unsettled, they know they're full crap. And uh, yet to be determined what happens. So. Well, well I'd like to believe that the the Supreme Court <clears throat> the Supreme Court will at least give it a really good look over and hopefully something good will come out of it. I'm well, like I like to believe I'm, that. I'm praying one of the justices ask some hard questions. You know, that's another thing Judge Drain could have done. Judge Drain could have let they're called bellwether cases. He could have let one of them suit slash trials go forward to see how culpable the Sacklers are. But no, they didn't want that. They don't want the evidence out. Like I said, they've been sealing the evidence for years and years. Right. So it's time we need all the evidence out in the public. We need a public trial. Sacklers love saying we did nothing wrong. Well, then defend yourselves. You know, so the DIJ... Like I said, the U.S. trustee has stepped up. They're going to the Supreme Court. The DOJ criminal division needs to step up and file charges. And that's what I pray for every night. Well, we put our our, uh, our intentions with you because this needs to come to an end. Thank you. And, and again, dope sick on Hulu. I can't praise that show enough. Michael Keaton won an award for it. The show should have won. It got robbed. But, uh, you know, critically acclaimed. So, Well, I encourage all our viewers to please go watch that. Become more educated. <laughs> to go on also Relatives Against Purdue Pharma, the Facebook page that Ed has. Join it. Learn more. And if you are inclined, go to some of the events that um, are coming up and help Ed to push this forward for everyone's concern. One thing at the very top of the Relatives Against Purdue format and Ed Bish, anybody can see my page. We don't got to be friends. At the very top, there's a link to email the DOJ. You don't even have to do nothing. All you got to do is DOJ, do your job, follow the evidence, follow the money. Right. That's all they need to do. Excellent. And also connect with your representatives up in Washington, especially, you know, your congressman or congresswoman and your state U.S. senator so that they know this is going on because there's a lot of times they don't know what's going on. So educate them that this is coming up on December 4th and they expect that they will push for the DOJ to do the right thing. Yeah, I got my fingers crossed. Okay, I'll cross them with you. (laughs) 
Thank you, Ed, for being with me today. Thank you for sharing so much of your life and of Eddie's life. And I appreciate your educating us so much. We have to know this stuff. We can't do much if we don't have a sense of the horrific nature of this, if we don't have a sense of what's being planned by incredible people like you and those in your groups. And I thank you very much again. I wish you the very best. Thank you. Bless you. Bye-bye.